here and tell me please if you can hear me well, if you can hear me a little bit, if the level is good or too high, and uh, or if it's just right. And my uh, sounds good. Okay, so one person has an opinion. How do I sound, dear people? Can you hear me? Because this is not... Oh, very good. Thank you. Shalom, Alan and Eileen. Excellent. We'll uh, get rolling because this is one of those, among others, in many ways, good old-fashioned kind of experiences. It's not uh, digitalized. It's probably not... They would probably tell me it's not optimized or maximized or uh, a lot of other things like that. But it's good and old-fashioned, and uh, that's probably just right for talking about the uh, word of Hashem and what that means, uh, what we can make out of it with reference to the uh, Parshas, the Torah portions that the Jewish people are reading these weeks, and what the special, uh, especially what some of the, what these Parshas have to say about the laws of Noah, the Noahide laws that are special interest to you people. And as you can see from the uh, from the notes that I put up on the whiteboard like I always do, um, always trying to make it possible for you to see a little where we were one week ago, you can see that we're going to continue to follow along some of the most famous characters in history and that these characters uh, exemplify uh, the principle uh, Shalom Puev, exemplify the principle of uh, winnowing and separation which is so much a part of the uh, work so much a part of the work of Hashem and so much the part, maybe I should say really so much human work so much the uh, challenge and the task uh, that we have in relating to Hashem and to beginning with recognizing Hashem and bringing Hashem into our lives and into the world each of us as individuals and then hopefully each of us in a family and then each of us as communities and when things are really clicking each of us in 70 nations all organized around the nation that is the portion of Hashem um, oriented towards the creator and source of all being and blessings but this process which we follow through the main characters um, in all of the book of Genesis all of Bereshis really right from the, the creation of our earliest ancestors Adam and Chava uh, certainly all the way through um, to uh, the last chapters we're certainly right in the midst really although we've gone quite a ways in time and in, uh, uh, and in important events what they call foundational uh, paradigmatic events but there's still a lot of those major contrasts as the world proceeds from tohu 
you see I've gotten that written up there, that main principle is item four, both, both the last week and this week. As the world proceeds from tohu, tohu olam tohu, to via, really, if I had enough space, I would, via tikkunim, via a whole range of rectifications, of uh, reformations uh, in every sense of the word, always coming from individuals, like I said, to a world that is shalem. Uh, a concept that we've been talking about more and more and more as we go along. Um, a world that is shalem, whole, complete, I guess we, uh, we could say completed, uh, a world of integrity in the full sense of the word, unified, one, all the pieces working together like all the nations working together, instead of trying to destroy each other, especially one nation or two in particular. Um, but uh, Shalem, perfect, uh, whole, uh, integrated, and which is uh, perfect. Uh, interesting that all those concepts come together in Hebrew. We're going to talk more about that uh, tonight from several of the uh, perspectives uh, that I've got listed up there. So, a process of, uh, of hivdil, um, verb, kind of an unusual verb form to separate. It's what I should have in the bold in the parentheses there. Um, not the noun, hivdil, to separate. Just like uh, the whole first chapter of Genesis, as you know, it's all a series of discriminations. You know, the politically correct people must tell us tell us that we must never discriminate between anything. You know, three wives and one man, or or six women and four men, or two women or uh, four men, whatever it is. They're all families, and who's anybody to say be so prejudicial as to say one's better than another? Said just for one example of the infinite varieties of. Um, political correctness with which we're deluged in the last generation and you all know from a Torah perspective what this is this is tohu of course a person versed in scripture recognizes all everything uh, that we're living through in our lives and in our days it is it is the leaders of this world that's that's for another course and uh, via the media they can control trying to drag now a highly developed world, a world, you know, shaped by the spirit of Asaf, the doer, the maker. Uh, uh, but to bring that world back, to make all the doings and, and making and creating, to bring it back into Tohu by destroying the foundational principle of Hivdil, of discrimination, which makes for integral whole distinct parts of which human beings are the pinnacle and what distinguishes that uh, habriot that beautiful term we talked about seven weeks ago mankind or literally created beings what distinguishes habriot starting with Adam and Chava is that they have they're free 
we have such an important part to play, each one of us, in perfecting our own integrity, in, in bringing out the shleimut, uh, the uh, perfection and the integrity potential within us and that comes partly formed with us but that we have to complete as adults. Uh, Judaism and the Noahide laws do not, like some cults or religion, uh, make a fetish out of infancy and infants. They don't glorify infants and which leads after a few hop, skips, and jumps into glorifying infantilism. You may have noticed if you've watched the news or commercials uh, or anything on the mass media in the last two or three decades. Um, love of infants, yes. Love of children, yes. Uh, ohave, one of the, the primary words uh, in the scriptures, uh, not only uh, in that because it occurs frequently and that there are a lot of loving people who are central to this to the, this process of tikkunim toward uh, shlemut but because uh, love is even one of the uh, organizing uh, principles uh, one of the choices that we make and it's certainly one of the, the part of God's um, nature but while you love children and this is all uh, this is all related. I have to give you one example, historical example that distinguishes, that makes a very beautiful heave deal between Edom. You remember, Esav, who Edom. We are told and then reminded and then reminded again at the end of this this week's parsha Vayishlach, and Jacob sent. Reminded again and again, Esau who Edom. I'll give you at least a couple of historical reference points here. That the Romans themselves, whose history, whose early history is lost in mist and myth, the kind of myths you see all over the ancient Mediterranean and Middle Eastern world. It certainly is a myth. It's a myth that they may well have borrowed from the the Torah. Uh, and the, the uh, Chumash and the story of uh, uh, Yaakov and Esau the twins Romulus and Remus there are a lot of stories like this in other cultures Britain has one in, uh, it's older than the Arthur legends a lot of stories of twins and usually one twin kills the other like in Rome Romulus killed Remus that's why Rome is named Rome instead Roma instead of Rima, and uh, or they both kill each other, like in the British version. That could have happened in in uh, the Chumash. That could have happened in Parsha uh, in Parsha Vayetzi, I think, or was it right before that? Um, at the end of uh, the previous Parsha. Uh, certainly Esau wanted to murder Jacob we know that it's, you know, they, we don't get a lot of dialogue reported but that's one of the pieces of dialogue reported Rivka heard him he was so as often unable to control himself Rivka heard him muttering 
other people didn't too apparently that he couldn't wait for Isaac to die because once Isaac died he wouldn't have to worry about getting cursed and losing the blessing that Isaac was loving and gracious enough to give him even after he recognized uh, that the, the right son had been blessed he wouldn't want to risk that and risk getting a curse in, in exchange so he was way looking forward for Isaac's death why? so he could not so he could better emulate him so he could murder his brother the reason uh, this did not end with a, uh, a killing was because of Yaakov and because of Yaakov's uh, mito, Yaakov's qualities but anyway to get back to Rome and the historical point I wanted to make about love at loving children instead of glorifying and deifying children naturally that's a little bit uh, in the back of all of our minds I think in America today for some pretty obvious cultural reasons and um, the Roman uh, his, uh, anyway, two things the Romans themselves traced their national origins to the Middle East you know their first their first uh, real book of their own cultural history was the epic poem written by uh, uh, Virgil or Virgilius as they called him who wrote the Aeneid and uh, Aeneas was from Troy there are other uh, explanations but anyway a hundred years after uh, Virgil wrote that epic poem um, the Romans produced a historian, what we would call a historian, their first one, greatly influenced by uh, Josephus of the tribe of uh, Benjamin, as we know, and Philo of Alexandria, as he's known in history books to this day, also, also Jewish, a Jewish man who lived in Alexandria, the largest uh, city in the ancient Mediterranean world, and a city that was uh, about 30 to 40 percent Jewish I won't detour into that who lived this about a century earlier than uh, Josephus anyway uh, Tacitus the Roman historian criticized the Jews for a number of reasons one of them was what he called their their deplorable prejudice of refusing to do away with that is to say exposed to die refusing to do away with any of their children they cherish all of their children now to a Roman or a Greek they just couldn't or ancient Egypt Egyptians too but Romans and Greeks even more who used to control their population and uh, uh, to no small degree by exposing newborn infants to be devoured or die by other means you know kind of out of sight out of mind kind of thing thought it was thought it was deplorable of the Jews to cherish each of their infants and in fact Tacitus could only understand it as a kind of spite how reflective on the culture that produces that uh, spite on the Jews that they wanted uh, they wanted their own numbers to increase while other people were busy having orgies and then throwing their infants out onto rocky hillsides like uh, Oedipus reportedly was along with no doubt hundreds of thousands if not millions of very real rather than mythical Greek and Roman and other European and Middle Eastern 
babies. So, I mean, there on several levels is a kind of uh, winnowing out, and there is a major distinction between Jacob and Esau on the macro-historical, on the cultural levels, this fundamental division, um, and a division between a world that is going ironically via creation, creating things, making things back into tohu as opposed to a world that is gathering up the sparks that is drawing out by love very largely look at how Yaakov behaved when he when he saw uh, Rachel at the well he was so overjoyed he was so deeply moved uh, to the core of his being that he burst into tears of love that he had found uh, the younger daughter which obviously had been intended for him the younger son uh, and his mother's his mother's niece etc just similar to the way his father's wife his mother had been found similar, not the same. We'll get into that. Um, uh, the love. Anyway, the teasing out of all the sparks from the coarse material, the winnowing. That's why that word is such an important synonym. Nifa. The winnowing out uh, of everything that's precious, good, uh, and integral is part of the process of tikkun, that brings us back to a world uh, of shlemut, of wholeness, which is also integrity, which is also a prime. Integrity is a person. Integrity is a nation. Uh, integrity in your social and cultural organization, as Israel is meant to be entirely integrated, as Jacob was when he returned to Shechem the place where Abraham built the first altar to uh, the living God the creator of all things uh, when uh, Vayavo Yaakov uh, Shalem when he returned to Shechem it tells us uh, in the middle of Parsha Vayishlach chapter 33 verse 18 in fact this is the this is the condition of integrity and wholeness that is the the process kind of the overarching process that we're following as we go through uh, the book of Bereshi and that the Jewish people struggle to go through throughout the rest of the Chumash and then of course is described from many different perspectives in the rest of the Tanakh and of which all B'nai Noach play a critical role and are in fact a living witness to the ongoing process of Tikkun going towards Shlemut towards a world that is Shalem filled with people who are Ki'et Shalem 
who are integral um, and complete, who uh, are teased out of all the mixtures that have come from the the mixture of goodness but craziness and insanity and and progressivism in uh, the strict as well as the specific late 19th to 20th century forms of the world, the progressivism that's always trying to uh, improve God's work and God's plan and to say he's not who he says he is, so to speak, and to give him different names, which all you uh, children of Noah all you B'nai Noah know is one of the seven commandments incumbent on all mankind and foundational to the whole Torah. That you have to be extremely scrupulous about uh, the name of the Eternal One. And uh, that, that so you never commit sacrilege is one way of putting it. Never take the name in vain. The next thing you know you're creating another God and you are even without intending to uh, committing idol worship like Lavan did all the time just to move, jump ahead a little bit so that you're not committing idol worship or creating an entire civilization that even though it does not mean to that even though consciously it repudiates and professes to be horrified by idol worship nevertheless lends itself and has ideals and professions and habits of behavior that lead people to worship the work of their own hands to worship the work of hands of people greater than themselves in one way or another usually that's not truly great to be sure usually having to do with a lot of money or a beautiful surface appearance you know that is Yavon that is Greece's special uh, Achilles heel so to say to use the name of one of their own heroes who was preoccupied with his external appearance and with his fame with his reputation uh, with I should say with his glory his personal glory to, to paraphrase him very closely one of the first things he says to his goddess mother in the Iliad I'm talking about Achilles now of course who snuck in here by way of a, of a metaphor is uh, what good is life to me if I can't have a glorious life I'm going to die anyway where have we heard that before you know we heard a different version of it albeit not quite so gross, not quite so gross in its physicality, uh, from Red, as everyone nicknamed him after he spurned his birthright for the Red Red that he wanted immediately poured into him and which was worth more to him than the birthright of his grandfather Abraham and his father Isaac. But so one, one step leads to another and you wind up with a civilization whose works, whose asuyim, from the same root uh, as Aesop's name, nicknamed because he was done, he looked complete. He looked complete. 
He certainly was not complete. Not in the integral sense. Not in the sense of perfect. We'll do a very quick run-through of him before moving on to Uncle Lavan, uh, who looked complete and so got the nickname Esav and then the nickname Red, uh, or in Hebrew, Edom, uh, the dominant civilization in the world to this day, although it has tried to clothe itself. My, my, history is an amazing thing uh, in its logic in the end returning. Although it has the civilization of Edom has tried to, has clothed itself in no small degree with the clothes of Yaakov, with the soul of Shlemut, the kind, the, the, this kind of approach to life that allows you to make a true Shalamim. Same root, same word, a Shalamim. I can see your hands in my mind's eye. I can see your hands going up because you know that means a peace offering. A true peace offering can only come from sh- from shlemut, from integrity and wholeness. Just like true peace, genuine peace, as opposed to a peace process, can only shalom can only come from shalem. That is a message that is written not only hinted at very on much on the surface when Yaakov returns Ya Yavohu Yaakov Shalem to Shechem but is written into every event in the entire uh, Chumash it's all about Tikkunim uh, of Olam Tohu so that we can again enjoy within ourselves and between ourselves we should all have this experience we can have within ourselves and between ourselves ha'or ha'tov the good light of the first day the the light about which uh, uh, Hashem saw it and uh, said ha'or kitov and therefore called the the first day as it's usually translated I'm sure a lot of you know what the real, what it really says in Hebrew, though. And a more accurate translation is, and so it was Yom Echad. Uh, you see that there at the end of line three. Vayar Elohim et Ha'or Kitov. That the light of the first day was good, and so therefore, when it was evening and morning, it was. Yom Echad a unified day or day one a day that was and this is in many Midrashim uh, you know how awesome if I could say I was only the 10,000th person to notice this uh, 10 millionth would probably be closer to it um, a day that was completely unified and that's there it is at the end of uh, whatever it is verse 3 of the entire Torah, um, the first clear connection between Echad and the Or Tov, the good light that we all are going back to because it's the root of all of us. It's the root that drew Yaakov, even by himself, 
and even have to having have to, having been robbed, and so uh, the many midrashim say probably by Esau's son Eliphaz, uh, from whose from whose concubine son Zepho, some scholars have traced uh, the uh, the European Edom, uh, A.K.A. the Roman Empire. But anyway, arrived Rob. It was that spark that Yaakov recognized in the love and the sweetness and the, the purity of uh, Rachel. The same graciousness, uh, generosity, and love, all these principles of the Eternal One, Hashem, that Eliezer had prayed for to Hashem obeying you know the Noahide commandment as well as the commandments of Torah before it was given that he had prayed for uh, and for which he blessed God uh, before the well uh, at the well there a few parshas earlier so coming to, to bring out all the light that is scattered throughout the creation and that has gotten mixed in a myriad in, in countless ways with uh, everything that is materialistic and, and crazy and trafe, uh to use a, a Hebrew word that not only because it's somewhat familiar you all know it's, it's kind of the generic term for food that's not kosher it's called treif. But I didn't just slip into that because I'm, I'm kind of associating here. No, not at all. I use that word specifically because the, wor- the verb uh, taraf, to tear, like a predator tears its prey into pieces, you know is also one of re- very closely related one of the Noahide commandments you're not to eat from an animal that was torn apart or that was even butchered uh, before it was uh, killed properly and as painlessly as is humanly possible and totally dead before it was torn apart. In other words the opposite in as humane a way as possible and as opposite as the way an animal kills its prey which is sinking its fangs and uh, claws into it and tearing it apart. You don't have to watch too many nature films before you see that brought into your living room and living uh, or dying color, as we should say. But the word, uh, if you look in a Hebrew dictionary, which I did this past week, and I don't know what made me, probably because I was studying the Noahide laws, and I said, and I've, I've, for years I've thought about, and I talked to you about a few weeks ago, when I looked ahead. This is, you know, this is just what Shechem, the man Shechem, the young prince Shechem, the son of Hamor, who, who took Dinah and afflicted her or violated her, is a good translation of what he did. Um, uh, when he uh, took her down, I've I've thought of that. And he made Jacob's whole family not. He damaged the shlemut, 
of the family of uh, Jacob and the family that had to bring Shlemut to the world and that had just in the in the person of its uh, father Yaakov had just returned had just achieved Shlemut the condition for offering Shlamin perfect offerings of true peace to Hashem after 20 years of exile and suffering many of the kinds of vicious behavior that are explicitly forbidden by the, the laws of Noah as well of course by the laws of Torah so and I looked anyway I looked at this word because here's another part of the the, the antonyms for the synonyms Shlemut and uh, Echod or I suppose you could say Yachod or even Yechida um, totally unified state of being uh, a little different emphasis than Shlemut which will stick to that's the word that's applied to Jacob right when he's going to get his name Yisrael as you know a name that we'll also talk about before the hour ends tonight but the antonyms for these terms of Echad or Yachad and Shalem integrity oneness uh, implying the full pure the reintegration of the light of the divine soul that we have that should permeate our beings and our relationships is this idea of uh, the, uh, the, the antonyms of doings that are materialistic that are divorced from and even often in opposition to in outright overt and explicit murderous hostility to Shlemut you know doing that goes that always brings the world paradoxically ironically doing that brings the world back to Tohu rather than towards Shlemut I mean this is really this is the mystery this is the secret of western civilization the most productive creative uh, abundant wealthy uh, culture that has ever existed in the world by far by far this imperfect mixture of the qualities of Esau and Yaakov that through its productivity has been in the at the same time it was building itself up material materially after a point and I would argue that point of kind of momentary equilibrium was passed a little over 200 years ago <laughs> and I even I recently found some support from, from some very great scholars that this would be the case the point of equilibrium being 1790 I'm going to talk about that a lot in my next book that'll be out early next year I hope See, we, we must understand Western civilization it's ours and we live in it and we're trying to rescue all the very very good light that is scattered throughout it and this is a civilization with enormous merits with enormous amount of goodness in it I mean my goodness it, all, uh, it has an enormous amount of Torah in it but led by whom 
by Aesop. And that's why this culture of enormous productivity and doing, making, and creating is dismantling itself. When you study Western literature and history and art and philosophy, which I've been doing professionally for three decades and was doing even before that, and even when you look as a, as a citizen who's alert at culture, high and low, you can see in one generation, you can remember and watch how even America, the most blessed for a simple reason, because it blessed those that Hashem, the Eternal One said, must be blessed or else you'll be cursed. The most blessed of all the nations of the West, the most productive, the most creative, the most scriptural, the closest to Tanakh, the self-consciously the closest to Tanakh, by far. You look at many, 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 many of the founding fathers talked and wrote about this uh, repeatedly. Is has put itself at the head of the coalition that is explaining and creating processes of various kinds for uprooting itself from the source of its own light and life. Of course we have got to pay attention and be aware of that as well as being I guess fascinated by the spectacle but to the extent that we have a heart to feel and care, a heart that's connected to uh, Torah um, of course we, we care about this and it bothers us uh, a great deal. Notwithstanding that it may be uh, in the long run it's necessary, but it's not necessary that it be very bad. Okay, and now I will jump ahead a little bit, but very briefly, you all know uh, probably that redemption can be relatively quick, glorious, and joyful, returning like streams in the Negev. That, that's not a verse that's often cited, although I love to cite it. It's such a beautiful Tehillim. 126, one of the Tehillim of Asen for Sukkot. Return us Hashem like, uh, like torrents in the Negev. Probably in a, the best uh, close translation. Afikim Negev. If you've ever seen any of those Afikim in the Negev and how incredibly rugged and steep and baked and dry they are after, you know, down there, nine month, nine and a half month dry season and then you get a uh, thunderstorm in December or January or February um, you know what that uh, torrent would be like it's that return of the Jewish people and that return of all people to Hashem but the, uh, the, the return the redemption can be glorious quick you know, everything that a person is capable of being, or it can be very bumpy, slow, drawn out, and uh, rather like the world we're living uh, through these days. So there uh, is Hashem Vayar Elohim et Ha'or Kitov, a unified day, a day that was totally together, sound like a hippie, the day that was totally together, that was a close synonym for uh, the, shal, the quality of Shlemut, 
towards which we all should be struggling, which probably everyone is struggling, whatever is the nature of the mixture of uh, Esau, Ishmael, and, and Yaakov inside them, and however much they try to strengthen the last name, uh, as opposed to the other, is uh, going in that direction. Because that's the only way we can go, is uh, toward the light. Uh, but maybe some people, the more they go, the more they go back to Tohu. Um, that's, uh, that's the way it seems. All right. So, um, Asaph, uh took wives for himself. He took Canaanite wives. Then he took Ishmaelite wives. Apparently, he certainly never asked his parents' permission. Not only do we not see it mentioned, but we hear what Rivka has to say very explicitly about the torment and bitterness that these wives and their idolatrous practices uh, are bringing to her and to Isaac. There's Noahide laws right there, and uh, we hear about Esau's, we hear his lying, that Jacob stole his birthright, one of the most horrible lies that continues in our culture to this day, notwithstanding what he himself said. And uh, we, then we see his murderous intentions that, are, that we see again at the beginning of Parsha Vayishlach. Uh, Jacob sends out angels to scout before him some of the angels that met him and his family when he came uh, back when Laban overtook him uh, there at Mount Gilead and Laban who had a chance having been <laughs> having had the experience of the Eternal One speak to him in a dream clearly and order him not to say anything one way or the other good or bad to Jacob about his going back to the promised land and to Isaac could not control himself. You know, this is one of many reasons that people say, well, Laban is not only an ancestor of Naval, at least a spiritual ancestor of Naval in the book of Judges, but he's also perhaps even the grandfather of Bilam, who behaved in precisely the same, or almost precisely the same way after the Eternal One warned him twice in a dream. Uh, that that Israel was blessed, and uh, that he was not that he Bilam, much less King Balak, were not greater than Hashem, and it was not for them to reverse his blessing. Anyway, Lavan goes back, uh, pursued Yaakov, as we know, and then I wanted to just stay on the point of idolatry. That's one connection between Lavan and Esau, one of several. He goes there with a. Uh, who knows, a murderous intention to his heart. He swears by his idols, the gods of his father, Nahor, even when he takes a formal oath, he and Yaakov, not to harm each other, as if who was trying to harm who? Jacob was going home with his wives and his children, and Laban came chasing after him from Haran, you know, roughly 250 miles away on the northern side of the Euphrates in the northeastern corner of what today is called Syria, thanks to the Greeks and their mistranslation, uh, mispronunciation, and, and the rest of their history 
as they call it. He comes chasing him from Haran and announces, as you know, that the daughters are mine, in other words, your, your wives are mine, your children are mine, your flocks are mine, and everything that you have is mine. Uh, this is after being warned by Hashem not to say anything to Jacob one way or the other about his going back home to his father with his family. So here, let's count this up. Theft, which, which is Lavan's uh, ongoing characteristic, right? He cheats. Uh, theft, murderous intention, uh, failure of fear, fair dealing. You know, the whole, the positive Noahide injunction to have a court system for the purpose of dealing justly, not for attorneys to put on ego, do an ego trip and make a gigantic, uh, a gigantic pile of doubloons, but the courts to do justice. This is something that Levon, from the beginning in his dealings with Jacob, was extremely, extremely unjust and uh, one could say extractive, we would say today, exploitive and manipulative uh, in the highest degree. And that certainly was not honoring Hashem's name. And here was his, uh, his nephew uh, and, and uh, the, the son of his sister's, uh, the son of his sister. And... Uh, he shows up to marry his daughter and all Laban can think of doing is saying, uh, well, sure, come on in. And after Jacob works for him for nothing for a month, he says, to show what a good, what a sport he is, he says, uh, well, look, just because you're my relative doesn't mean you should work for me for nothing. Name your wage. So uh, what can I say? That's not exactly the way you treat family, right? This is not exactly the hospitality and graciousness of Abraham. So, uh, on the contrary, we, we are clearly de dealing with a force, part of the force of Olam Tohu. The uh, Olam Tohu from which both Rachel and Leah and their servants uh, need to be liberated from, redeemed from, so that their life, the life that they clearly had as their as events make plain, uh, can be joined to the light of Yaakov, the light of the covenant, the light of the promise, uh, and to move the world closer toward uh, Shlemut, uh, to separate the darkness off uh, in its own place, and uh, let it be dark together. Uh, in its own element and eventually the confusion will all cancel itself out may we live to see the day um, so uh, Lavan violates all of those Noahide uh, principles in his treatment in his relations with Jacob similar to the way we saw Asaph betraying all those own principles. More, much more serious for Esau because remember Esau was Yaakov's twin. That's why I, I was talking at such length before about Western civilization or to some length and why it's so important to study it. This, this remarkable civilization that's this remarkable amalgam 
of Esau and Yaakov who uh, are, were separated um, for a lot of good reasons and will have to, uh, it's apparent they're going to do it whether we like it or not or whether we say anything about it or not are going to affect another separation uh, another Havdalah they're making it they've been making it for a hundred years uh, and more picking right up where Ishmael let, uh, let off and in fact they've uh, lit a fire under Ishmael again just what the world needed and they've done it people in the name of you know they've done it in the name of Shalom it's all for peace peace and bitachon security you know in the modern state of Israel because Israel is caught in the middle of this and we all know Israel does not have a Jewish government that's why it's so torn up simple reason why it's so very far from Shlemut which of course means it's going to continue to suffer um, is that Bitachon one sign of, of this being torn being you know, trefa, which is a synonym, you know, taruf, a teruf means uh, insanity or madness. So, you know, the connection, the ancient, the built into Hebrew is an understanding that for a human being to tear apart even dumb beasts at a very low level or other you know any kind of animals and to eat them or even to kill them in a brutal way before eating them much less to tear apart human beings like we see some cultures doing repeatedly even on TV is not just a mark of wildness and savagery but of insanity and madness Taruf, madness, from uh, Taraf to tear, and uh, Mitraf is uh, an adjective, insane or crazy, and uh, uh, Matraf means something that creates a mixture. Matraf, from the same root, something that creates a mixture like in a, the, the most prosaic terms an egg beater I have in my uh, my dictionary here it's really a lexicon and uh, but mixing think of it people mixing everything up olam tohu the opposite of all the distinctions the discriminations of uh, discrete individuals that on the human level have to choose and build their way through behavior and personal qualities through tikkunim back to shlemut and wholeness. So, let me add in, you see down there number seven. I've used uh, Laban as well as Esau to kind of to do an overview of most of the Noahide laws. At number seven, you see, I have a note about Abraham, 
and sorrow. And who were the beginnings of this constant process of winnowing, this constant uh, process of havdala, of separation. It's used a noun. to deal with the verb that the universe has to go to because Adam and Chava are human and they made mistakes uh, they were uh, enticed through their eyes and their appetites it's natural um, but it's unfortunate so we had another process of, uh, of winnowing with which you're very familiar Noah was a, was a righteous man perfect in his generations Noah walked with God and there was an enormous separation there because we know that at the time of Noah the world was filled with Hamas Batimalei Haaretz Hamas those of you who know my writings know I mention this from time to time for a long time and why? to illuminate a crucial principle of understanding the world is an organic unity Hashem the eternal one is not a magician he's the opposite of a magician he could not be more opposite than a magician who is a charlatan even if he can do tricks Netzach Yisrael lo yishaker if only the nations would remember and all of Israel would remember Netzach Israel Lo Yishaker it's all truth it can't be and so therefore the laws that he built into the creation are a reflection of him therefore the end returns to the beginning always just as it was in the beginning but Timalei Ha'aretz Hamas what do we see when we look around you don't need a bachelor's degree. You don't even need a high school equivalency diploma. Right? So clearly we're going back by going forward because Western civilization, which is driving this process, the civilization in which the spirit of Asaf uses so much of the, the spiritual matter and light of Yaakov that it has tremendous power but it's for fragmentation for postmodernism which I explained for you last week and will show up on the recording at some point Bezrat Hashem postmodernism which is all about fragmentation it's the last stage of Asaf of western civilization that glorifies the, the absence of integrity the absence of unity unity is despised integrity is despised in every sense of integrity in fact if, if you tell an, a, a so called pe people in academia with graduate degrees and who think they're extremely sophisticated and the sharpest people on the face of the earth right away there you know they got problems they do and so do we as a result you tell them that there's such a thing an essence, a quality, as integrity, they'll laugh at you and look at you with scorn and derision. There's no such thing as integrity and truth in their world, in the chaotic, petty little world of petty little governments 
pardon one brief tangent, this is just what the Talmud in Tractate Sanhedrin says about the end of days. You will have petty governments filled with arrogant people who will get rewards and accolades for their arrogance and their wantonness and their brazenness. Sound familiar? Governments of petty, arrogant hypocrites and places of learning from which the Torah of the Eternal One is, unless it's looked at with a kind of scientific detachment, like you don't really think this could it be real, do you? And they look at you like you really like you should belong in an institution. I wish that wasn't true. Um, these people, to get back to postmodernism and fragmentation, which is the world of tohu towards which we are paradoxically rushing through our creative society, deny that it's possible to be true and to have integrity because everyone just does what they want because everything is relative Whatever you, anything that you believe is just a reflection of your own desires do you see what spirit is dominating these people who are so in love with and assured of their intelligence pour into me some of that red red stuff they worship themselves they look in the mirror that's when they that's what they pray to with the same thing they see in the mirror when they uh, do whatever they do when they're standing over the bathroom sink and uh, that's what they pray to and that's why we're going back to Olam Tohu but Abraham and Sarah they used the quality of Asa Ayin Shin Hey to make what? to make souls and in fact if you look in the book of Genesis and Parsha Bereshis the very opening lines it's, it's chapter 12 uh, I think it's verse 5 of Bereshis it actually says the et hanefesh singular the et hanefesh asher asu Abraham and Sarah left Haran headed for, into the promised land with all the soul singular I shouldn't have put it in a nest there. Uh, with all the soul that they had made, Bacharan. So all of the converts, Eliezer and all the hundreds of other converts, we know that there were, th there were thousands because Abraham himself, on a moment's notice, put together 318 armed men to chase down the armies of the four kings in Aram to rescue Loth and the other hostages. So, if there's 318 arms men to be found at a moment's notice, we're talking about thousands of people. And yet, Torah, dictated by Hashem, refers to all these human beings, all these souls as soul. Because by being brought to Hashem and connected to Hashem and turned to Hashem, they were turned to the or Tov. They had become shalem to that extent. The condition that after all the many more centuries of, uh, or a couple more uh, centuries of suffering, Yaakov achieved, and after a couple of more generations of major winnowing and separation, Yaakov achieved 
after he wrestled with the man as it says the Ish of Esau the power of Esau and arrived back at, Shech- at Shechem Vayavo uh, Yaakov Shalem when he came to Shechem and uh, we see that uh, anticipated so to speak in the kind of work the soul work that Abraham and Sarah did even in Haran you can imagine the miracles that they did when they were in Canaan which was promised to be the promised land Eretz Yisrael the land of the upright Yashar El is certainly the simplest way to look at that title that Hashem gave to Yaakov when when this ties up several of the main principles that are rooted in the Hebrew language that we're talking about tonight when did Hashem give Jacob the honorific the title Yisrael immediately after Shimeon and Levi and their brothers restored Shlemut to the family of Yaakov by avenging the blood that had been spilled by avenging the tearing of Dina by the Canaanite Shechem who then wanted to say it was okay and of course there's a lot more we could say about that Parsha and Joseph's, uh, Jacob's response but we know what Hashem's response was sanctify yourselves and ascend to Beit El where you, where you anointed a pillar to me 20 years ago when you set out for Haran and he gave him the name Yisrael uh, God's upright one you could also say he will be God's commander Yisrael um, is another uh, fairly uh, clear way of doing it but this to, to wrap up for tonight that takes us back to the verse that I cited to you and read to you from Tehillim 111 last week Psalm 111 verse 8 because it has all of this history this Torah history this history of all of the, these Havdilim um, of all of uh, all of these Tikunim or this approach back to Shlemut that we've been talking about tonight by all of these distinctions between humane behavior behavior by the laws of Noah as opposed to behavior by the laws of wildness or the laws of materialistic self-worship of your own appetites like in Yishmael and Esau verse 8 smuchim la'ad li'olam the commandments of Hashem and the works of his hand are steadfast forever smuchim remember I talked to you about how that word is used as to indicate a whole method the, the method of contextual understanding of understanding the Torah as a whole that you can't look at one phrase one word in isolation to understand it fully after all it's from the mind or spirit of God depending what part of the Tanakh it's from you can't just read it like it's the New York Times 
I have to wash out my mouth now, or you know, some other, or even a, a great history book or something. You have to look at it contextually. You have to look at it in wholeness, with integrity, in the light of that first light. Smuchim, asuyim, ba'emet v'yashar. There you have in that verse to return to what I was saying at the very end of class last week. Everything I've been talking with you about tonight and was beginning to talk about last week. Esau and Yisrael and Jacob in his completed form when he was Shalem are there together. But in the context of what Hashem makes, the works of Hashem's hands, which is preeminently his works and his covenant that he remembers forever, that he eternally remembers. And uh, so the asuyim, the making, the creating, is within the context, within the smuchin of emet, which is a, a nickname for the eternal one, for God, truth. In the emet v'yashar, and uprightness, or fairness, or faithfulness, which might be the tertiary, the third meaning of it. There it is, the, the core of, of Jacob's title, Yisrael, Yashar El, the upright one of God who has truth because he knows that everything that is made to be steadfast forever in truth and fairness comes from the works of Hashem and from eternally remembering his covenant which is something to be treasured something even when you have to suffer for suffer unbelievable and repeated injustices for like Jacob suffered in Haran and before Haran and is suffering to this day but that when it's done the uh, smuchim and the emes it will be yashar uh, a synonym for Yahid and Shalem wholeness and then we will have real uh, Shlamim we'll all be able to offer our words and our deeds and our relationships and our beautiful societies and nations will themselves be with everything we do will be Shlamim uh, Lahashem and uh, I hope we all live to enjoy that day um, and I'm delighted that you were here to to be with me tonight and I hope you'll bring friends uh, back with you next week and we will continue on our journey of discovery which hopefully is uh, as much as my abilities can make it and your own understandings play a part in as much as make it uh, a tikkun and a journey uh, back towards uh, Shlemut and the Or Tov. So uh, shalom, 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 Russell and Evelyn and everybody. Have a good week. Have good days. Looking forward to the light of Hanukkah. Uh, beautiful, beautiful uh, holy days. And uh, very much about a reminder of the Or Tov and the fullness of the uh, Or Tov. So I'll talk with you next week. Bezrat Hashem. Toda, toda, toda.